I was reading a, a story recently of a young pastor who met with um, a well-known preacher of his day, Dr. Lee Robertson, and he sat down with a pad of paper because he had all these questions to ask uh, Dr. Robertson. And, and at the time, Brother Robertson pastored one of the largest churches in the country, and uh, so he was ready to ask him and pick his brain and really get some knowledge. And he asked him this question, and Dr. Robinson looked at him and he said, Die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the guy said, you know, there I was. I was ready to write down this detailed answer. So I thought, okay, I hear you. And he asked him another question about how to lead the people and how to minister effectively. And Dr. Robinson looked at him and he said, Die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, then, then he said, okay, let, let me try again. So he, he came up with another question to ask him, and the response was the same every time. Die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I lost my microphone, guys, but I can't hear it from here anymore. And uh, I don't know if, if I can't hear it. Maybe they can't hear it at home. So uh, anyway, his response was always the same. Die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The young pastor said at the time, this was kind of frustrating. I was expecting to get more substance, a real answer, not just the same thing repeated over and over again. He said, I left with my yellow pad pretty empty, just that one phrase, die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I realized later that's exactly what I needed to hear. Because the truth is, for all of us in life, as we are walking in a Spirit-filled life, we must die to self, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We hear that talked about a lot in church, especially if you've been here the last few months on Wednesday night as we've been studying through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But what does it really mean to die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit? D.L. Moody said it this way, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully surrendered to him. And when Moody said that, that same night, he said this, by God's grace, I'll be that man. He went on from then to continue on in his ministry, and God used him to shake two continents for Christ. And many believe over a million people came to Christ. This is before television, before all of the modern media that we have today. Over a million people trusted Christ through the ministry of D.L. Moody. Will you give the Holy Spirit prominence in your life? You see, He deserves full and absolute control. He is God in you, and you belong to Him. You are His vessel and His ambassador. It is reasonable Christianity that you should surrender complete control of your daily life to Him. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says it this way, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, he's talking to saved people, that by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It is reasonable to expect that because God has given everything to you, He gave His only begotten Son to save you from your sin, it is reasonable to expect that you would give your life to be controlled 
by the Spirit of God. That's reasonable. That is a reasonable, logical, it makes sense kind of Christianity. You see, the Holy Spirit will bring transformation and power into your life that you could otherwise never know. He will lead you into a life that is abundant and full, even beyond your capacity. I don't know about you, but as I continue to grow and learn and live life, I have come to realize that I have limits. And when you're growing up, you feel like you have no limits. You know, you can stay up all night. You can run and not get tired. You can just have so much fun in life. There's always something else to do. But as you continue to grow and mature, you realize you have limits. There's some teenagers and children in here tonight. You may feel like you don't have any limits. Boy, I can just do anything and go anywhere, and I'm just going to get bigger and stronger and faster and better. But pretty soon we learn we have limits. But the Holy Spirit of God enables us to live beyond our capacity. Jesus said this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, he said, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, even better, even bigger, even more wonderful than before. This abundant life is known by so few Christians. I mean, how many Christians do you know that don't live abundantly? Maybe you might even say in your own life, I I really don't live a full, abundant life. Rather, I live a life of discouragement. We have a lot of young people here tonight. Adults, can I encourage you with this? They don't want to see a Christian life that is a discouraged, depressed, downcast Christian life. We want to lead them to know that a relationship with Christ brings joy. It brings happiness. It brings fulfillment. It brings great opportunity in our life. We say that serving God is the greatest thing ever. We say that following Him can change our life. But do we really live it? Do we really believe it? Or are we living a discouraged, downcast, not filled with the Spirit kind of Christian life? I think you ought to live a fulfilled Christian life, filled with the Holy Spirit, Yes, for your own benefit, but also for the benefit of all of these young people in here tonight to encourage them in their walk with the Lord. So how do we do this, right? It's a big idea, but how do we actually accomplish it? Because if you leave tonight saying, well, I need to just have a more abundant life, it's probably not going to help you very much. So tonight I want to take some time to give you some practical ideas how you can live an abundant life spirit-filled, spirit-controlled Christian life. And in fact, I'll spend probably the next three weeks working through some different aspects of this to try to give you real things that you can do. We spent a lot of time explaining, looking at the Scripture. We'll look at some more passages together tonight. But I want to give you practical steps to put into your life so that you too can live an abundant, spirit-filled Christian life life. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. See, living a spirit-filled life is about learning how to practice 
His presence moment by moment. It is a daily discipline and it is a daily choice not to neglect Him. It's not to, to, not to neglect Him. We'll get to the points in a minute. Hang on in the back there. Let's, let me just give you a couple more things to think about before we get there. C.H. Spurgeon, the preacher, said this, The greatest crime of sinners is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. We looked at that last week, blasphemy of the Spirit. But he continued on to say, The greatest fault of saints is to neglect the Holy Spirit, to neglect the Holy Spirit's power that He wants to use to fill them and to use them for His service. Will the daily practices of your life change by what we've learned about the Holy Spirit? Or have you just got a little more knowledge? Well, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, knowledge puffeth up. If you know more, it doesn't make you a better person unless you take what you know and you use it in your life. And it's my goal tonight to help you use it to help you in your life. The Bible gives us three different commands regarding our response to the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at the first one of these tonight, and that's our title, Be Filled with the Spirit. Be Filled with the Spirit. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it's the act of emptying myself of sin, any known sin and then yielding myself completely to the Holy Spirit. It's an emptying of sin and a yielding of myself to the Holy Spirit of God. It's an act of will, it's an act of surrender, and it's an act of prayer. It is not sensational. It doesn't always provide an immediate feeling or exhilarating experience. Sometimes people think, wow, I was filled with the Spirit. Wow, I just got crazy. It doesn't always start that way. It starts by asking for forgiveness for my sin, making sure I'm right with God. Getting rid of the sin and yielding to the Spirit's work in my life. It's a decision of faith to yield complete control of yourself to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Bible refers to this idea of being filled with the Spirit as dying to self. Dying to self. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the grace of the earth, by the faith, I'm sorry, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse is confusing if you read it quickly and don't take time to think through it. He says, I'm dead, but I'm alive. And now that I'm alive, I'm dead. What's he mean by this? He says, I'm dying to self and I'm alive to Christ. My old self, my sin nature was crucified with Christ on the cross. When you got saved, Jesus saved you from your sin. Your sin has been forgiven. It was nailed to the cross and you can let it stay there because he took your sin and he forgave it. But now that I'm dead to sin, now I'm alive to Christ. I'm alive to walk in the power of His 
Spirit. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. We'll look at a few different verses there. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. How do you let sin reign in your body? How does sin have charge, or how could it become like a king who reigns? How can sin control your body? Well, it's all kinds of things. It's what we look at. It's what we allow into our ears. It's what we allow our minds to contemplate and think about. It's, it's where we go. It's the people we spend time with. All of these things are opportunities for sin to come into my life. Sin is my choice to do something that is against God's will and God's way. Sin is me choosing self over choosing to follow my Savior. And when I allow sin to reign in my body, when I go places, when I do things, when I say things, when I think on things that are not right, I'm allowing sin to have control over me. Look at the next verse, though. It says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Let me get some help here. CJ, do you want to help me real quick? You don't have to do anything crazy. I just need you to walk. All right? So come up here on the stage with me for a second. So let's pretend, all right? You, you stay right there. I'm going to come over here. Let's pretend that we are driving down a road towards each other, okay? And, and let's pretend that you come over here in this lane because we drive on the right-hand side of the road here in America. And uh, But where I'm trying to go, the road I'm on, actually kind of wise off over here in this direction, okay? And so here you and I come towards each other, walk towards me. Now stop there for a second. I want to get over there, but you're trying to go down this way. So often when you come to a road where that type of situation happens, there's a yellow sign on the side of the road, and it usually says yield, right? Now, in a big city like Houston, it might just be a stoplight. But if this was a small intersection, not a lot of traffic, there'd be a big yellow sign that would say yield. Now, CJ, you have the right-of-way, right? Because right? you're going straight on ahead. So you keep on going. But I have to stop and wait while you go on by. And now I've yielded to him. I let him go first. And now I can go the direction that I need to go. Okay? This verse, did you see it? Come read it with me. What's it say right there? Uh, Neither as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Okay, stop right there. So we shouldn't be yielding to what? What does it say? Don't yield yourself as instruments, instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't yield to sin, but what do we yield to? Um, yield yourself unto God. That's right. That's good preaching. Why don't I just sit down here and you finish? You want to do that? I'm just kidding. All right, good job. Thanks for helping, CJ, helping us understand what yielding is, right? We're not to yield to sin. In other words, we're not to allow sin to just have free reign and do whatever it wants in our life. We're to resist the devil. We're to stand against sin. But we are to yield to what, CJ? 
to God. That's right. So when God speaks, when God is directing, I need to say, okay, God, you get to go first. God, I'm here to follow you. I'm not here to follow after sin and let sin have first place. No, God has preeminence. God has first place in my life. So walking in a spirit-filled life means confessing sin, asking forgiveness for my sin, and then yielding myself to God. But too many Christians yield to sin and don't yield to God, right? They allow the things of this world, maybe it's from their friends, family members, maybe it's their old bad habits, whatever else. They allow sin to have place in their life. But here Romans tells us very clearly, neither yield yourselves as members of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Notice the rest of the verse. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here, Paul is explaining for us why we should be yielding to God. Why? He gives us two reasons. Number one, you're alive from the dead. You're not dead in your sin anymore. Now you're alive unto Christ. Therefore, because you're alive, you should behave differently than when you were dead. Now, the other day in my yard, I put out some, some ant poison and killed some fire ants. Let me tell you, fire ants act very differently when they're alive than when they're dead, right? We understand the difference between death and life when it comes to things like fire ants. I wonder if we understand the difference between spiritual death and spiritual life, or are those who claim to be spiritually alive really spend more time living like they're spiritually dead? You see, if we're spiritually alive, we can yield to Christ. We no longer have to yield to sin. Now listen, teenagers, I understand. You understand that sometimes the pressures of everybody around you make it seem like it would be easier to choose to yield to sin rather than yield to God. And I've found this in my life as I've gotten a little bit older, that often the right decision presents itself as the hard decision, and the wrong decision presents itself as the easy decision. Anybody else found that to be true? Choosing to do the right thing seems to be the hard thing to do. Choosing to do the wrong thing seems to be the easiest thing to do. I think the devil is really good at, at deceiving us. The Bible tells us he's the father of lies into allowing us to think that doing the right thing is the hard thing. But here's the other thing I found to be true. If you will choose to do the right thing in time, maybe not immediately, but in time, it often becomes much easier than if you had chosen to do the wrong thing. You ever thought about that? Choosing to do the right thing in time often becomes easier in the long run than if you had chosen to do the wrong thing. It's hard to work in school and to study, but you know it's a lot easier to have a good job and be able to pay your bills than to not be able to get a job because you didn't get a good education or get, didn't get good grades. It's hard to say no to the temptations of the flesh but it's sure a lot easier when you're living in a, in a happy, fulfilled marriage than when you're living in sin and struggling with all of the attacks and drama that comes with those who have chosen to live in sin, right? It's often hard to do the right thing initially, 
But I find in time, doing the right thing brings the blessing in the end that you said, boy, I'm so glad that I chose to yield to God and not to yield to sin. Look down, you're in Romans chapter 6. First of all, we looked at verse 13, those that are alive from the dead, that's the first reason why we yield. But secondly, he said, as members, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we yield ourselves to God, first of all, because now we're alive to him. But secondly, because your members are instruments of righteousness unto God. Here's what he's saying. Do right because you're alive, but also do right because God wants to use you to fulfill his plan. You're an instrument. You're a tool in the master's hand that he's using to build this amazing masterpiece. Isn't it incredible to think that God wants to use you? He wants to use me and he wants to do something incredible with your life. Maybe he's already done some incredible things with your life, but he's not done using you because you're still here. He wants us to be like tools in the master craftsman's hand that are used to build the great building, the, call it the church, call it his work, call it whatever God is doing, God's will in your life and in the lives of others. And when we choose to yield to God instead of yielding to sin, when we walk in the spirit, we are now tools in the master's hands. We are instruments of righteousness unto God. Look down just a couple more verses to verse 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? All right, we're using people tonight to have, have illustrations. I, I need two more people to help me with this. You want to help, Carissa? All right, come on up. Sammy, you come up too. All right? All right. Chris, you stand over here. Sam, come over here. All right. Now, Sam, when I tell you, you're going to raise your hand, okay? Carissa, when I tell you, you're going to stand on one foot, okay? All right. Everybody who wants to follow Sam, you're going to do what he's doing. Everybody that wants to follow Carissa, you're going to do what she's doing, okay? but you got to pick one or the other. All right? Ready, Sam? Ready, Carissa? All right, go. Raise your hand. Stand on one foot. All right, we got some people raising their hands. Got some people with their foot in the air. There we go. All right. Tell everybody to sit down. They can sit down, put their hands down, and put your foot down. Okay. This is a silly illustration. But the point I'm trying to make is this. You're either going to pick to follow one, or are you going to pick to follow the other? A lot of people try to live their Christian life and think they can sort of ride in the middle. Riding the fence is always uncomfortable. And in fact, you never accomplish anything. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said I would, that you would rather be cold or hot. And because you're not, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. See, you have a choice to follow this master or you have a choice to follow this master. That's what Romans 6.16 says. To whom ye yield yourselves as servants to obey, 
his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Who are the two masters? He tells us right here in the end of the verse. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You can either follow sin or you can follow righteousness. Jesus said it this way, no man can serve two masters, right? Tonight we had two different directions you could go. You could raise your hand or you could lift your foot up in the air. Some of you chose one, some of you chose the other. The point I'm trying to make in your spiritual life, you can't choose to do both. Now you might have been sitting in your seat doing this. But that doesn't work spiritually, right? And in fact, you would look just as foolish spiritually as I just did on the stage doing that physically, right? Because you cannot live your life like that and have any positive impact for God's work. Thank you, guys. You were a big help tonight. So we're getting some illustrations here from these young people to help us understand what it means to yield to the Spirit of God. In other words, I would say it this. You must constantly choose who to yield to. Choose. Remember what Joshua said at the end of his life? He said, choose you this day whom ye will serve. And then he finished up by saying, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You can't serve and follow and be committed to and be filled by, be controlled by the Holy Spirit and yield yourself to sin. You must resist sin, confess your sin, and yield yourself to God to live a Spirit-filled life. Most Christians do not willfully choose to walk in the, in the flesh. Probably none of you got up this morning and said, I'm just going to try to be a bad person today and do as many terrible things as I can. No, most Christians don't do that. But the reality is they arrive there by default because they fail to deliberately yield to the Holy Spirit of God. In their Christian life, they just kind of floating along, not really paying attention. I'm saved. I'm okay. I'm on my way to heaven. And they're not paying attention and they're not yielding themselves to the Spirit of God. I've got a glass up here. Well, it's not glass. I have a plastic up here. I don't know. What you, I have a cup. And it's full of air, right? You can see that. How do I get the air out of this cup? I put a vacuum on it. But if it was too strong, this cup would collapse, wouldn't it? I have a better way. Mr. Joe's going to help me here. I got some water, right? If I take this water, oh, I did that just to show off, and I fill it all the way full. Now it's full of water, isn't it? And the air has come out. The only thing that could breathe in this cup now is a fish. I couldn't. But see, if we in our life want to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, we have to allow Him to fill us up. Say, well, how do I get all the other stuff out of my life? Well, confess it to God and then fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. But see, a lot of Christians walk around kind of like this. Or they may be full, controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, but then things get difficult and it starts to spill out. And now there's room for other things. I'm distracted. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a daily process. And I'll give you a couple things here. You're going to fill in your notes in a minute. 
But think about that. What does your life look like? Are you walking around empty? Well, this is why you're struggling all the time. Are you only partially filled? Or are you allowing yourself to be constantly being refilled? See, the Holy Spirit of God is a source of power and strength that is constantly renewable. His, his strength, it, it, it will never run out. But we have to be constantly going back to Him, to the well that never runs dry. We have to constantly be living under the spout here where the blessings come out, right? So that we're constantly being filled by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Joe, for helping us with that tonight. All right, let me help you now. Give you five things on what the Spirit-filled life looks like or how to be filled with the Spirit. Number one, you may have already gotten some of these. Number one, being filled with the Spirit is a daily decision. Just like I said there with the cup and the pitcher, it, there's going to be times that some of that Spirit that you've allowed to control you, the Holy Spirit of God to control you, it, you get distracted. You've got other things that come along and, and you're not as full or as controlled by the Spirit as you should be. I can tell you some things that happen that cause this. You get tired. You get hungry. You get busy. That is, that is like the word that everybody uses, busy. You, you call anybody, how are you doing? Busy. Nobody's fine or good anymore. They're just busy, right? We're all busy. But busyness can tend to us walking away from or not being as filled with the Spirit as we should be. Remember what I said? Most Christians don't start out the day trying to live a life that's not filled by the Spirit. It just happens by default because they're not constantly yielding themselves to the Spirit of God. See, being filled with the Spirit is a daily decision. I would encourage you to begin every day in prayer calling out to the Lord and saying, God, forgive me my sin. God, fill me with your spirit. Control me with your spirit today. Fill me. I need you. I think a prayer like that to start your day would be a good way to start the day. Being filled with the spirit is a daily decision, but I want to take it a step farther. Number two, being filled with the spirit is a moment-by-moment -moment decision. Because there are some of you who woke up today intending to do well, and then life happened, right? Things got difficult. This new thing that you did not expect happened. You got to work, and there was a surprise waiting for you. There was a fire that you had to put out. There was a situation that came up. Some of you children, young people, you maybe even got up with a good spirit today. You're ready to do right. And then your sibling happened to you. Maybe your parents happened to you and gave you a job. Maybe something else, and you say, ah, oh, and you just respond, Bleh. it's bad. Why? Because being filled with the Spirit is a moment-by-moment -moment process. Remember how we talked about last week? The Holy Spirit can be quenched. He can be grieved. So you must have moment-by-moment -moment sensitivity. Don't wait till tomorrow to start afresh. No, make it right, right now. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged, if something happens, oh, I said the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing, I shouldn't have said that, done that. Ask God to forgive you. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Be sensitive to Him and choose to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit once again. 
Sometimes we get the idea in our Christian life, well, I messed up. Ah, I'm going to wait till Sunday to make it right. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. I'm going to wait till I have my devotions. Oh, I missed having my devotions today, so I'm just going to quit for the rest of the year, and I'll have to start over on the reading plan next year because I got behind by two days, and it's just not worth it to try to catch up. We make all kinds of crazy excuses in our mind for why we don't walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're sitting here going, people say stuff like that? Yeah, they do. Don't you be caught saying things like that because it is just weakness and a lack of faith in God. God will forgive you. He'll restore you, and you can walk with Him in obedience to Him. If you're here tonight, it was not an accident. If you're watching online, it was not an accident. God wanted you to hear this. Take it and use it. Confess your sin to Him and recommit your life moment by moment to follow Him. Number three, being filled with the Spirit is by faith. Some people think, well, I just don't feel like I'm filled with the Spirit. Don't let your feelings be the point that decides how you walk through life. The filling of the Spirit is not a feeling. It is a faith decision. It's not trusting in how you already feel about God. It's trusting in what you believe God is able to do in your life. A lot of people don't walk filled by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, but I've just messed up. I'm not very talented. I'm just a kid. No, I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I'm too young. I, I had this problem. I had that problem. You know, I, I got to get all this stuff straightened out in my life. I, I got to get this figured out, and then I'll be filled by the Holy Spirit. No. It's a by-faith decision. It's not trusting in who you are right now. It's trusting in God and what He's able to make you into if you will submit yourself to Him. That's what being filled by the Spirit is. It's so easy, right, to look at other people and say, well, they just do so much better than I do. Oh, that I'm always messing up. And they just seem to have it all together. Well, first of all, they just may be a better actor than you are. But secondly... They may have had just more experience walking in the Spirit that you have, and that's okay. And the only way to get there is to continually, daily, moment by moment, yield to the Spirit and walk with Him. Being filled with the Spirit is by faith. Living a day with the filling of the Holy Spirit is drastically different than living a day without the filling of the Spirit. And if you've lived any time in life you know what I'm talking about. We, sometimes we say, why are I good days and bad days? Well, often those are days where I was choosing to submit, yield to the Spirit of God, and choosing or choosing to walk in my own selfishness and my own flesh. And you don't have to keep going that way. Stop and yield yourself to the Lord. Number four, being filled with the Spirit helps me grow in developing the mind of Christ. Being filled with the Spirit helps me grow in developing the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How can you get the mind of Christ? Whoa! Well, tonight, CJ helped us. Samuel helped us. Carissa helped us. Joe Pete helped us. I wanted them to try to help you visualize and help me teach you some things so I could take what's in my mind and put it in your mind, right? God, through His Word and through the Spirit of God, is working to take what's in His mind and put it in your mind. 
He wants you to have the mind of Christ. When you look at things, when you face situations, his desire for you is that you would respond in the same way that Jesus would respond. Yes, it is raining outside. Yep, it's raining. Respond in the way Jesus would have you respond. You say, how could I ever do that? How could I ever get to the place where I'm thinking like Jesus, responding like Jesus? That's what God wants for me. That's what Philippians 2 says. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do we get there? As you yield to the Spirit of God, each day you are growing and maturing in Christ. You're being transformed into His image. But you know what? When you're growing day by day, it doesn't always feel like it. How many of you kids at home, how many of you teens at home have a place on the door frame or somewhere in your house on the wall where your parents are keeping track of how tall you are? Anybody have that at your house? We have that at our house. Morris's have it theirs. Do you guys have it at your house? The Heinz, do you have a spot on your wall where you're measuring your height? Okay. At my house, there is a mark up at the top of the wall at six foot five. That's my mark. And all my kids are looking at that line way up in the air. If you come to my house, you can see the mark I'm talking about. And they're all hoping. Even Carissa told me this. She's hoping to get up to that mark someday. But you know what? If you came to my house right now, you only see one mark up there at six foot five. And there's a whole bunch of other marks down below. You know what? There's only one mark that says daddy next to it, but there's a whole bunch of marks that say Carissa. There's a whole bunch of marks that say Caden. There's a whole bunch that say Elijah and Micah and Trevor. Trevor's marks start down here, but now they're up here. How how did that happen? Because he's growing. He's growing. But you know what? Sometimes when we measure, and I used to do this when I was a kid. Maybe you kids do the same thing. When I was a kid, sometimes I would feel really tall i say, Dad, measure me, and he'd put the mark on the wall. And then I'd come back about three or four days later, like, Dad, I, I just think I've grown. Why don't you measure me again? And I'd stand up on the wall, and he'd put the pencil on my head, and guess what? It was exactly in the same spot that it was three days before. And I thought, well, I'm not growing anymore. No, you're growing. It just takes time, right? Remember how Sunday we were talking about the Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God working in his life? And he spent three years with the Lord in Arabia in between Acts 9.22 and Acts 9.23. And if you didn't know the whole story, you would, you would miss that he was out there for three years with the Lord. You just think that, man, Paul magically changed overnight. No, his growth took time too. And his teacher was Jesus Christ himself. It's going to take time for you to grow spiritually. And that's okay. You say, well, how do you do it? Daily submit yourself to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. If you have anything that's in your life you know is wrong, and yield yourself to the Spirit. Say, Lord, help me today to live a life that's pleasing to you. And that's not just a daily thing. That's a moment thing. Remember, it's a by-faith decision. It's not trusting in who you are right now. It's trusting in who God is and who He's able to make you over time. And it's something God is using in your life to grow you to be like Jesus Christ. But that growth is going to take time. And number five, and I'm almost done. Being filled with the Spirit 
is about repentance, number one. Number two, restoration. And number three, forgiveness. Repentance, restoration, and forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 51.10, David crying out to the Lord said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. How do you respond when you've done wrong, when you've sinned? Don't ever tell me I've done wrong. That's not the right response. The right response is to repent. Have a quick response. Ask for forgiveness. Being filled with the Spirit is about repentance. Saying, God, I know you're trying to change me to be like Jesus. I have a long way to go, so I'm sorry for what I've done. Forgive me moment by moment. And as God shows you things, oh, this is what I find. The older I get and the more people I'm with and the bigger my kids get and the longer I'm married, God just keeps showing me more stuff that I need to change in my life. You know, I thought when I grew up and got out of the youth group, I'd be somewhere spiritually. I thought, boy, when I go to Bible college, now I'm really going to be somewhere spiritually. I thought, well, let me go to seminary. Then I'll really get somewhere spiritually. And then I thought, well, now that I'm married, I'm never going to struggle with some of these sins anymore. Or, man, now I'm a dad. Mm. I have good things to focus on. I'm going to raise my kids. I'm not going to struggle. You know, every single one of those steps in my life, and it continues to this day, God just continues to reveal pride, selfishness, arrogance. You name it, He's probably still revealing it in my life. And so what I have to do, I have to repent, ask God to forgive, repent, ask Him to change me. And then God, as He changes me, there's something new. You know, we're kind of like onions as you peel it back one layer. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's something else. Oh, there's another. It just goes on and on. You think, is this ever going to change? Growth takes time. It's about repentance. It's about restoration. See, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not getting more and more of the Spirit. It's rather letting the Spirit get more and more of me. I like what F.B. Meyer, he was a, a writer. He said it this way, do not pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Just give me more of your spirit, Lord. He said this, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and he's not in pieces. Here's a little piece of the Spirit. Here's another piece of the Spirit. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. He's a person. It's not like you're like, well, here's my finger. Here's my arm. No, you get the Spirit. You have all of the Spirit. He said every child of God has all of Him, but does He have all of us? Does He have all of us? Live in a state of surrender and submission to Him. One more great quote, and then I'll be done. We'll pray. Betty Stam, she was a missionary. Her and her husband were many years ago. They're missionaries in China. She made this statement about giving her life to the Lord. She said, Lord, this was a prayer, 
I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt. Work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. That's a statement of consecration to the Lord, isn't it? That's somebody who says, I'm yielding to God. God, do whatever you want with me. God, I'm not going to keep going and following after sin. I'm not going to follow that master anymore. I'm going to follow you. I'm your servant. I want to be your sacrifice. God, use me however you want. Now, I didn't know Betty Stan personally. I'm looking forward to meeting her in heaven someday. But I think, I would guess, and I think I'm right, that if you talk to her someday when you get to heaven, you said, Betty, you made this great prayer to God. Did you only pray that prayer one time? Or was that a prayer that you prayed over and over and over again to God? My guess is she would say, oh, I prayed that prayer so many times. I can't even remember. See, living a life yielded to the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, it's a daily, moment by moment, by faith, choice. Understanding God's doing His work to change me to be like Jesus Christ. And it's about my repentance. God doing His work to restore me, forgive me, and use me for His purpose. And you know what? This is a lifelong pursuit. If you don't experience all the change in a week, in a month, in a year, that's okay. It's going to take the rest of your life. But I hope that when you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, Lord, still not perfect, but I've come a long way. Thank you for helping me to change, to become because the more we walk closely with him, the more he uses us for his glory as his instruments to work his righteousness here on this earth. We serve a great God, don't we? That God would use us, not just ordering us around. No, he fills us. He controls us if we'll allow him to do it. God's never forced anybody to do something against their will. When we think of the controlling of the Spirit, we think, well, God's like grabbing me and yanking me around. No. No, it's submitting yourself to Him and allowing Him to direct you and lead you and use you because His ways are best. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for this time together tonight. There's so much here for us to think about. and I pray that even as we go from here tonight, we wouldn't just have more knowledge that we would take what we've learned and apply it to our lives to be used for your service. 
to learn to live lives filled by the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord, for your Spirit. Thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Word that teaches us how to live. May we apply it tonight in Jesus' name.